we are starting a new series on January 6th and 7th. It's called Take Back Your Family. And as I've talked to families over the course of this last year, many of them will say, you know, it just feels like our family is a little under attack. And some of them will talk about technology and how much screen time to allow their kids to have. They're like, we didn't, we didn't have this when I was a kid. What, what do I do? And other people will talk about generational sin. They'll say, you know, my grandparents struggled with this. My dad struggled with this. And now I want to break this pattern in my family. And so as you can see, some of the topics we're going to be talking about in this series, it doesn't matter if you're married, single, have kids, don't have kids. I think it's going to be an impactful series in your life to take back your family. It starts on January 6th and 7th. Today, we get to celebrate with billions of believers around the world the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here is the question that I want to ask today. Why? I've been meeting with a guy over the last few months. We'll grab breakfast or something like that. And he has all these questions about Jesus and about the Bible and spiritual kinds of things. And it's been so refreshing for me to be around somebody who has such unfiltered questions. One of the questions that he asked me recently was, he said, when God was up in heaven and he was kind of looking down at the earth, was he sitting around going, somebody go do something about this. Jesus, somebody get down there. Or was Jesus up in heaven going, let me at him. Don't hold me back. I've never been asked that question before. But it got me thinking that many people today, they know the what of Christmas. If you were to ask the average American, I think they could tell you, I mean, there was a baby born in Bethlehem in a manger because there was no room in the inn. They would know the what behind the Christmas story. But the question I want to ask is, why? Why did God send his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth? The answer to that question is found pretty early in the Christmas story. In Matthew 121, an angel comes to Joseph to speak to him about this baby that's in his fiancee Mary's womb. And here's what the angel says to Joseph. He says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. What's the why? why? Why did God send his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth? It was to save us, to save you and to save me from our sins. I have three teenagers, and if you have teenagers, I'm guessing this, you'll, you'll relate maybe to this story but maybe not, because I told this story three years ago, and people looked at me like I was crazy. And rightfully so. I was a little crazy. I did lose my mind for just a moment. But at the time, my oldest son was about 15 years old. And we got in an argument about something. And I, to this day, I couldn't even tell you what the argument happened to be about. But as we were leaving our neighborhood, my son started to lecture me on how to be a better parent. <laughs> and I was in a salty mood. <laughs> and so I said, you know, I do need to be a better parent, but I'm not listening to you for parenting advice because you don't know anything about parenting. He disagreed. He felt like being raised by a parent for 15 years would qualify him as something of an expert on parenting. And so as we drove past our neighbor's house, he kind of pointed at the neighbor's house. He said, you should go talk to him and learn how to be a better parent. And again, I'm in a salty mood. So I was like, yeah, he probably is a great parent. But let me tell you something. 
His son has a way different personality than yours. So maybe you should go talk to him and you could learn some things as well. Back and forth we went. This ended as we got out to the main road. And again, I don't even remember what prompted this. I don't remember what provoked this. But I reached over and I took his cell phone out of his hands and I chucked it out the window of the car. You should not clap for that. That is wrong that you're clapping for that. I'm telling you, I, I did that. And so then I had to put the car in park and I had to walk back and pick up the phone and I got back to the car and I'm like, sorry about that. <laughs> but here's why I tell you that story. I need to be saved from my sins. I've given sermons on parenting. I have never once in one of those sermons urged parents to take their kid's phone and just chuck it out the window of a moving car. In fact, as I was going back to pick up the phone, all I could think of was, I hope nobody from Eagle Brook is driving past me right now. <laughs> just roll down the window, high pass. Not right now, okay? Not right now. <laughs> See, here's the reality. No matter what your standards are for behavior and morality, you are going to violate those standards at one point or another. You, you might think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I mean, I've made some mistakes, but I'm a good person. But just consider, who are you comparing yourself to in that instance? Comparing yourself to other people. You're looking at other people, and you're going, well, I'm kind of in the 50th percentile. I'm definitely better than that person over there. I'm a good person. You might be listening to this message, and you're going, well, I'm not perfect, but I've never thrown my kid's phone out of a car window before. I must be a good person. I'm better than the pastor, at least. But here's the problem with that thinking. I am not the standard of your life. You are not the standard of your life. The standard by which we are judged by is God's law. Look at what it says in Romans 3.23 about this. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Notice that first word, all. Every single one of us, you, me, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One of the reasons why I told you the story about throwing my son's phone out the window is because a lot of people, when they come to church, especially on something like Christmas, and you come for the first time, at least this was me. I walked into church for the first time. This is what I thought. I thought, look at all these perfect people. Look at all these perfect families holding their candle, singing Silent Night. I thought, boy, I don't fit in here. And then you see the pastor and you think, well, he must just wake up in the morning and sprinkle his angelic pixie dust on. And then he just goes throughout the day praying and humming. You just need to know, I don't own any angelic pixie dust. And I actually have a hard time praying for long periods of time. Sadly, here's what I don't have a hard time doing. Sinning. <laughs> that comes rather easy. I sin, you sin, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And if we deny that fact, the Bible says that we are deceiving ourselves. 1 John 1.8 says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth, the truth is not in us. 
Just think about the first ever human beings, Adam and Eve. So God creates the first ever human beings. He places them in the Garden of Eden, and he tells them, you can eat from any tree that you want, except for this one. And what do Adam and Eve do? You know the story. They disobey God, and that's sin. And in that moment, sin entered the world. Sin did not exist prior to that moment. Romans 5 kind of spells this out for us pretty clearly. It says, sin entered the world through one man. That's Adam. And death through sin. In other words, death was a consequence of our sin. Before Adam and Eve sinned, there was no death because there had been no Sin. There was no death in the Garden of Eden. He says, in this way, death came to all people because all people sinned. You might have had some things passed down to you from your parents. Maybe you have your mom's eyes or you have your dad's sense of humor. But here's what all of us have had passed down to us from Adam and Eve, a sinful human nature. That's why you don't have to teach a two-year-old to sin. You have to teach them pretty much everything else. You never have to teach your kid to sin. They just figure it out. You don't have to sit down and go, you know what? If you don't like that that other kid took the toy, just rip it out of their hands. No, they, they figure a way out to do that. All of us trace our lineage back to Adam and Eve, and what we have received from them is a sinful human nature. And this brings me back to Christmas. Why did God send his son Jesus to this earth? It was to save us from sin and death. It was to reverse the curse of Adam and to save us from our sin. And you may think, well, why couldn't he just say, I forgive you? I mean, why did God have to send Jesus to die this brutal death on the cross? He could have just said, I forgive you. And my answer to that is in the same way that a judge can't say to a murderer, I forgive you. Imagine if a murderer came crawling up to the bench and said, you know, I'm so sorry. I got caught up in the emotion of the moment and made a mistake, but I'm a good person. Please forgive me. And what would have happened if the judge in that moment said, well, okay. I mean, you, you, you seem like a good person and I believe you. I forgive you. Have a great life. That, that wouldn't be acceptable because a just judge brings about justice. Here's what you need to know about God. He is a just judge. In order for God to be a just judge, he has to punish sin. He has to bring justice. But here's what you need to know about God. He loves you. And so while he brings justice and consequence for our sin. He sent Jesus to this earth to pay that penalty that we could not pay for ourselves because he loves you. And that is Christmas. And it changes everything. Let me just tell you what this has meant in my own life. I used to live with a lot of guilt and shame were some things that I had done in the past. And maybe you feel that way as well. Maybe there's something in your past that you go, God, I don't know that you could forgive me for that. I don't know that you'd want to have anything to do with me because of that. I talk to other people who say, I, I just lack hope right now. And I can feel that there's something missing in my life, and, and I don't know what it is, and, and I'm trying to fill that void. 
And many of those people try to fill the void with something like pleasure or sex or drugs or alcohol or their career. They try to fill it with success and achievements and other people thinking they're doing great things in life. But if you've ever tried this, you know none of that fills the emptiness. It's only filled through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to know today that the story of Christmas means that there is a God who sees you. He loves you and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins, to make you right with God. But that doesn't just happen. We're not just born forgiven. We're born with a sinful human nature, but forgiveness requires something on our part. What does forgiveness require? Well, first of all, forgiveness requires repentance. I was reading through the Christmas story as I was kind of preparing for this message, and I was reading in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. So if I were to say to you, hey, you should go read the New Testament sometime, and you started reading the New Testament, this is the first thing that you would read. Matthew chapter 1, it's called the genealogy of Jesus. A genealogy is like a family tree, an ancestry line. And what it says is Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah. And it goes on like that for 16 verses. 16 verses of this person fathered this person. Finally, you get to the statement, Jacob fathered Joseph, who was married to Mary, who gave birth to Jesus. Now, if you were to read through the New Testament, if you took me up on this, you said, yeah, I'm going to start reading the New Testament. I want to learn it for myself. And you came to this, I can guarantee you what you're going to think. Why is this in the Bible? Just get me to the manger and the wise men and the shepherds. Why, why, what's all this so-and-so fathered so-and-so? Why is that in the Bible? The reason that it's in the Bible is found when you dig a little deeper into some of those names. See, when you look back at the family lineage of Jesus, you see the name Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. And yet Jesus comes from the line of Rahab. At one point, it says that King David fathered Solomon, but then it adds these words, by Uriah's wife. Uh-oh. That means that Solomon was the product of an adulterous affair. These are not the names that you would expect to see in the family tree of the Son of God. Growing up, I had an uncle who had this pair of lime green shorts, and my mom kind of disputes this story, but I, I remember it very clearly. He had these lime green shorts, and on either side were these two containers that you could put beer cans. And I just remember I was in middle school at like a Christmas gathering or something. He walked up to me and he goes, draw. And then he pulled out the beer cans and started, you know, hammering these things. And I'm just like, oh, you got to be kidding me. This is my family tree. This is my family lineage. This is what, this is what I come from. Jesus' family tree is way beyond that. Jesus has someone in his family tree who's the product of an adulterous affair. He has a prostitute. And you might wonder, well, why is this in the New Testament? It's because God wants you to know. 
before you get to the wise men, before you get to the shepherds and the angels. He wants you to know that Christmas is not for perfect people holding a candle and singing Silent Night. Christmas is for people who need God's grace. Christmas is for people who need God's forgiveness. I've had people say to me, you know, I, I, I've asked God to forgive me, but I don't feel forgiven, and, and, and how do I even know? And then I'll talk to other people, and they'll be kind of flipping about it. They're like, oh, you know, me and the big guy and this guy, we're cool, and uh, we'll just kind of figure it out. And you can tell there's no remorse, there's no repentance. What does this word repentance mean? It means to throw off. It means to confess your sins and turn the other way. Hebrews 12.1 says it this way. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down and the sin that hinders our progress. God is not some control freak, prudish, up in heaven going, I don't want you to have fun and, and sin is fun, so I'm going to tell you not to do it. God wants you to progress. He wants you to grow. He wants you to develop. And he knows that sin is going to hinder your progress. In the first century, when this was written, the book of Hebrews was written, they used to have a lot of Olympic games. And I was reading a little bit about this, and it was saying that many of the men who ran in these Olympic games would run naked. They would strip off all their clothes. And the reason that they did that is they would be wearing a robe or a toga, and it was difficult to run in that. And so to not hinder their progress, they would take off all their clothes. I have never been in a naked race before, and I hope I never am. But if I ever find myself in a naked race, I have given this some thought. I have a plan. If I am in a naked race, I am going to finish first. My eyes are going to be on the finish line. I don't know what y'all are looking at back there, but I'll tell you right now. My eyes are going to be on the finish line. The author of Hebrews says, you got to strip off everything that hinders your progress. Another translation says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Is there a sin that has begun to entangle your life. And you're not even sure how you got in it. And you're not even necessarily sure how to get out of it. I was listening to a podcast by someone who wasn't a Christian. And he had this insightful statement. He said, vaping had become my God. And I don't know how he even understood this spiritual concept. He wasn't a believer. But he said, I'd wake up in the morning and the first thing I'm looking for is my vape. I'm, I'm struggling in the afternoon. I'm down. Where, where is that? He said, I had this moment, I, I realized, functionally, you are serving this as your God. What is it in that, your life for you? Where is it in your life that you're going, this, this sin has just entangled my life, and I, I don't know how to get out of it. I'm not even sure how I got into it. You got to throw it off. You got to confess it to God. It, it might feel awkward for you to confess sin to God, but here's what you need to know. He knows it anyway. He knows it already. The Bible says that God knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows the number of our days. He knows the details of our life. 
The Bible says that God has stored every tear that you have ever cried, and he's kept it in a bottle. That is how intimately God knows you. If you can't be real with God, then who can you be real with? What if you had a moment this week where you said, God, I'm going to confess this to you and one other person that I trust. I'm not going to cover this. I'm going to confess it. And I am going to repent of it. It's the first step to receiving God's forgiveness. Here's the second step, acceptance. Repentance and acceptance. I was flipping through Instagram and I came across this clip by Pastor Chuck Swindoll, and he was telling a story about this older gentleman who had gone to the drive-thru at McDonald's. And so he pulled up to the drive-thru, and he just had a hard time figuring out what he wanted to order, and then he screwed up his order. He had to start over again. And finally, the younger woman behind him, she had just had it. And so she rolled down her window, and she started yelling some really ugly things at this older gentleman. And so he finally figured out what his order was, and he pulled up to the first window to pay. And he paid not only for his own order, but he paid for the order of the woman behind him. And so then he pulled up to the second window to grab his food, and as he pulled up to the second window, he looked in his rearview mirror. And he could see this woman pulling up to the first window, and the cashier was explaining to her that the man in front of her had paid for her meal. And as you could tell, she was just feeling terrible about what she had done. And so she was kind of mouthing like, thank you, please forgive me. Thank you, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. And so he pulled up to the second window and to sort of let the 80-year-old gentleman tell the story, he told a friend of his afterwards, he said, I pulled up to the second window. I showed the cashier the two receipts and I took both orders of food. <laughs> Her food and my food. He said that way she had to go back all the way through and start over in the queue again. <laughs> Chuck Swindoll summarizes this in his message. He says, don't mess with old people. <laughs> They've been around a long time. <laughs> we live in a world where when someone does something wrong to us, we sort of think, well, I got to get them back for that. I was reading an article by, about Deion Sanders, the coach of the Colorado Buffalo football team, and he kept talking about keeping receipts. And he's like, if you say something bad about me or my program, I'm keeping receipts, and if, if we beat you, you know, we're going to kind of shove that back in your face. And it just got me wondering, does God keep receipts? Does God keep a record of our wrongs after we put our faith in Christ? You've probably heard John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But have you heard John 3.17? John 3.17, one verse later says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why did God send Jesus to this earth? It wasn't to condemn you. It wasn't for you to live in guilt and shame. He sent Jesus to save us. To save the world through him. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin. Jesus never sinned before. 
He didn't deserve the consequence of death. He didn't deserve the penalty of death. But God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. To take the sins of the world, your sins and my sins, upon his shoulders and upon the cross. So that he says we might become the righteousness of God. I heard one pastor call this the great exchange. Jesus says, you give me all of your sin, and in exchange, I am going to give you my righteousness. Are you right with God? Two words, repentance and acceptance. You have to repent of your sin. You have to throw it away and confess it to God. But then you have to accept the free gift of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, Romans 6.23 says it this way. The wages of sin is death. The consequence of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In the next few days, you're probably going to open a few gifts. But I just want you to know that the greatest gift that you will ever be offered is the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all you have to do is accept it through faith in Christ. You may know the what. You may know what happened on Christmas, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that he was born in a manger because there was no room in the inn. But now it is my hope that you know the why. And not just know the why, but you would experience it and feel it in your life. This past summer, uh, we went out to Faribault Prison and held a, a church service. It was an incredible opportunity. It's one of the most powerful services that I've ever been a part of in my life. But afterwards, uh, we showed it a couple weeks later in our church. We showed that whole service to our church, and we had a man named Chad who attends Eagle Brook who wrote us an email, and he said, I used to be in Faribault Prison. He said, I just want to thank you for ministering to those men and not forgetting about those men. But then he began to tell us a little bit about his own story. And I want you to see his story right now. Take a look. I'm Chad Larson, I'm 46. I'm an independent owner-operator, truck driver. I drive for a living and I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. I love seeing the beauty in every day, sunrises, sunsets. It's magnificent, God's beauty in this world. Growing up, I had a great family, but I was always the troublemaker. I always found myself making bad decisions. I didn't have that foundation of right or wrong, and I just pushed that boundary a lot. I was always acting out, getting in fights, skipping school, and I ended up dropping out in 11th grade. My substance abuse started at a very early age. It started with alcohol, uh, worked my way into smoking weed. Um, I think the first time I did meth, I was 16, but once I started into meth, that's kind of when it just went all over the place. And by the time I turned 18, I had my first felony. 
My addiction led me to do things that I didn't think I would ever do. I learned how to break into businesses and steal money and break into ATM machines and steal money and where would it go? It would all go to feed my addiction. There wasn't anything I wouldn't do to get high again. Addiction is a very dark place. It takes everything you have, little by little, and then you're left with the misery and the darkness. It's like being in hell. And if you don't get out of that, it can lead to the end very fast. Drugs take away your thought of right or wrong. You don't have any morals left. There's no integrity. There's no little voice in your head that says, you probably shouldn't be doing this. You will do anything to satisfy your need. This was a pattern in my life for many years. It evolved into more crimes, bigger crimes, aggravated forgery, possession. It finally led to my door getting kicked in on March 1st, 2017. The sheriff's office came to arrest me, and when it was all said and done, I had gotten my 23rd felony conviction. They arrest me, and I'm put in the holding cell, and that door clicks, and I'm left with myself in this empty room, and I've never felt so empty. I've never felt so alone. I was broken, crying. I couldn't get any lower than I was at that point. Everything was gone. I lost my wife. My, my kid didn't talk to me. My family didn't want anything to do with me. The only thing I had left was my own soul, and I wasn't about to lose that. I wasn't about to lose myself over a substance. I needed to change something. I just dropped to my knees and, and prayed. And I said, God, I need you. I need to find a better way to live. And I felt the only way I could do it was with the help and love of Jesus. And that day, I felt it come into me, and I felt such a comfort and peace and security in my life. And from that day forward, every day has been about being better than I was the day before. I spent the next two years in Faribault Prison, and it was a very humbling experience. But I had a determination to do better. I know if I'm sober, I know if I put God first in my life, I can achieve great things. I didn't know a lot about Jesus, and so I spent a lot of time when I was locked up trying to learn as much as I could. I read my Bible, studied scripture, I went to church, I even got baptized in prison. Another part of my journey was to repent and ask for forgiveness for the things that I had done. Those were important steps to put me on a path that has led to where I'm being successful now. As I drew closer to my release date, I didn't know what I was gonna do next, but an ex-boss of mine actually came to visit me, and we talked, and he said, I have a job for you when you get out, if, if you want it. And he said, I also want to bring you to church when you get out, and I said, I'd love to. So when I did get out, he did give me a job, and that following Sunday, we went to church. When I went there, I just felt like this was a place I could go to. This was a place I could feel like I was at home, that people weren't gonna look down on me, that people didn't care about my past. It's where I'm going from here that matters the most. Hey, Dad, I brought you a coffee. Oh, thank you. 
I feel like letting Jesus into my heart helped me transform into the person I feel like I was destined to be. And today I feel better than I have ever felt in my life. I am six years sober. I'm four years out of prison. I have mended many relationships with my family, my daughter, my loved ones, and it's because of one thing, and that's my belief in Jesus. I just like sharing my story, and I like people to know that transformation and salvation is possible for anyone. I think it's the greatest gift anybody could ever get, and it is freely given. All you need to do is accept it in your heart, turn away from your sins, Ask for forgiveness, and you will be forgiven. Yeah. Stories like that never get old to me. When you see what God can do in a person's life, and you see his daughter walk through that door, and you just think, only God. Only God can do that in a person's heart and a person's life. Maybe you're here today and your struggle isn't with an addiction, but it's something else. But there's this moment where you say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And I believe that for some of you, today is your day to receive him, to accept that gift into your life by putting your faith in Christ. He loves you. God sent his son Jesus to this earth to save you. If you would, just take a moment and grab the card that you received as you came in at all of our campuses. If you're online, there's a QR code that you can scan on your phone. It will give you the same information. But go ahead and pull off that card that says, save this card for later in the service. And on the back side, there's a box that says, I am making a decision to follow Jesus today. And then your name and email. And the reason that we want that email is because we want to send you some free resources that will help you know God and help you grow in your faith. But if you are accepting that free gift today, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to fill this out and drop it in a basket on the way out of your campus because we want to pray for you and we want to help you. We want to know what God is doing in your life. I want to lead each of us in a prayer right now. And for some of you, this is a moment to say, Jesus, I accept that gift into my life. Let's pray together. Lord, it's amazing to see what you can do in a life and how you can transform it and God, you sent Jesus to this earth to save us from our sins. And so God, right now in this moment, some of us in the quietness of their heart are gonna pray this prayer. God, I confess my sin to you and I repent, I, I turn away from it. And God, right now I accept the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. I put my faith, my trust in him. I believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty I could not pay. And so God, I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask for your grace into my life. 
God, there are others of us here who may have a sin that has just sort of entangled us that we need to throw off. And today was just a reminder to do that. I pray for strength and power, God, in their life. And Lord, as a believer and and many other believers here, every Christmas, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to save me, to save us, to reveal your love. God, we are so grateful for it this Christmas. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, join us January 6th and 7th for that new series, Take Back Your Family. Merry Christmas, everybody.